Sections 49 and 50 of 100% The Story of a Patriot by Upton Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 49. Peter went to room 427 of the American House, and there was McGivney waiting for him. McGivney said nothing about any suspicion of Peter, nor did Peter say anything. He understood that bygones were to be bygones. The authorities were going to take this gift which the fates had handed them on a silver platter. For years they had been wanting to get these reds, and now magically and incredibly they had got them. "'Now, Gudge,' said McGivney, "'here's your story. You've been arrested on suspicion, you've been cross-questioned and put through the third degree, but you succeeded in satisfying the police that you didn't know anything about it, and they've released you. We've released a couple of others at the same time so's to cover you all right, and now you're to go back and find out all you can about the Reds, and what they're doing and what they're planning. They're shouting, of course, that this is a frame-up. You must find out what they know. You must be careful, of course. Watch every step you take, because they'll be suspicious for a while. We've been to your room and turned things upside down a bit, so that will help to make it look all right. Peter sallied forth, but he did not go to see the Reds immediately. He spent an hour dodging about the city to make sure no one was shadowing him. Then he called up Nell at a telephone number she had given him, and an hour later they met in the park, and she flew to his arms and kissed him with rapturous delight. He had to tell her everything, of course, and when she learned that Joe Angel was a secret agent, she first stared at him in horror, and then she laughed until she almost cried. When Peter told how he had met that situation and got away with it, for the first time he was sure that he had won her love. Now, Peter, she said, when they were calm again, we've got to get action at once. The papers are full of it, and old Nell Sackerman must be scared out of his life. Here's a letter I'm going to mail tonight. You notice I've used a different typewriter from the one I used last time. I went into a typewriter store and paid them to let me use one for a few minutes, so they can never trace this letter to me. The letter was addressed to Nelson Ackerman at his home, and marked personal. Peter read, This is a message from a friend. The Reds had an agent in your home. They drew a plan of your house. The police are hiding things from you because they can't get the truth, and don't want you to know they are incompetent. There is a man who discovered all this plot, and you should see him. They won't let you see him if they can help it. You should demand to see him, but do not mention this letter. If you do not get to the right man, I will write you again. If you keep this a secret, you may trust me to help you to the end. If you tell anybody, I will be unable to help you. Now, said Nell, when he gets that letter he'll get busy, and you've got to know what to do, because of course everything depends on that. So Nell proceeded to drill Peter for his meeting with the King of American City. Peter now stood in such awe of her judgment that he learned his lessons quite patiently, and promised solemnly that he would do exactly what she said and nothing else. He reaped his reward of kisses and went home to sleep the sleep of the just. Next morning Peter set out to do some of his work for McGivney, so that McGivney would have no ground for complaint. He went to see Miriam Yankovich, and this time Miriam caught him by his two hands and wrung them, and Peter knew that he had atoned for his crime against little Jenny. Peter was a martyr once more. He told how he had been put through the third degree, and she told how the water from the wash-tub had leaked through the ceiling, and the plaster had fallen and ruined the dinner of a poor working-man's family. Also she told him about the frame-up as the Reds saw it, 
Andrews, the lawyer, was demanding the right to see the prisoners, but this was refused, and they were all being held without bail. On the previous evening, Miriam had attended a gathering at Andrews' home, at which the case was talked out. All the IWWs declared that the thing was the rankest kind of frame-up, the notes were obviously fake, and the dynamite had undoubtedly been planted by the police. They had used it as a pretext to shut up the IWW headquarters, and to arrest a score of radicals. Worst of all, of course, was the propaganda, the hideous stories with which they were filling the papers. Had Peter seen this morning's times? A perfectly unmistakable incitement to mobs to gather and lynch the Reds. Section 50 From Miriam's, Peter went back to room 427. It was Nell's idea that Nels Ackerman would not lose a minute next morning, and sure enough, Peter found a note on the dressing-table. "'Wait for me. I want to see you.' Peter waited, and before long McGivney came in and sat down in front of him, and began very solemnly. "'Now, Peter Gudge, you know I'm your friend.' "'Yes, of course.' "'I've stood by you,' said McGivney. "'If it hadn't been for me, the boss would have had you in the hole right now, "'trying to sweat you into confessing you planted that dynamite. "'I want you to know that, and I want you to know that I'm going to stand by you, "'and I expect you to stand by me and give me a square deal.' "'Why, sure,' said Peter. "'What is it?' "'Then McGivney proceeded to explain. "'Old Nels Ackerman had got the idea that the police were holding back something from him. "'He was scared out of his wits about this case, of course.' He had himself shut up in a cupboard at night, and made his wife pull down the curtains of her limousine when she went driving, and now he was insisting that he must have a talk with the man who had discovered this plot against him. McGivney hated to take the risk of having Peter become acquainted with anybody, but Nels Ackerman was a man whose word was law. Really, he was Peter's employer. He had put up a lot of the money for the secret service work which Guffey was conducting, and neither Guffey or any of the city authorities dared try to fool him. "'Well, that's all right,' said Peter. "'It won't hurt for me to see him.' "'He's going to question you about this case,' said McGivney. "'He's going to try to find out everything he can. So you got to protect us. You got to make him understand that we've done everything possible. You've got to put us right with him.' Peter promised solemnly he would do so. But McGivney wasn't satisfied. He was in a state of trepidation, and proceeded to hammer and hammer at Peter, impressing upon him the importance of solidarity, of keeping faith with his fellows. It sounded exactly like some of the IWWs talking among themselves. You may think, here's a chance to jump on us and climb out on top, but don't you forget it, Peter Gudge. We've got a machine, and in the long run it's the machine that wins. We've broken many a fellow that's tried to play tricks on us, and we'll break you. Old Nels will get what he wants out of you. He'll offer you a big price, no doubt. But before long, he'll be through with you. And then you'll come back to us, and I give you fair warning, by God, if you play us dirty, Guffey will have you in the hole in a month or two, and you'll come out on a stretcher. So Peter pledged his faith again. But, seeing his chance, he added, Don't you think Mr. Guffey ought to do something for me, because of that plot I discovered? Yes, I think that, said McGivney. That's only fair. And so they proceeded to bargain. Peter pointed out all the dangers he had run, and all the credit which the others had got. Guffey hadn't got credit in the papers, but he had got it with his employers all right, and he would get still more if Peter stood by him with the King of American City. 
Peter said it ought to be worth a thousand dollars, and he said he ought to have it right away, before he went to see the king, at which Guffey scowled ferociously. Look here, Gudge, you got the nerve to charge us such a price for standing by your frame-up? McGivney generally treated Peter as a coward and a feeble bluffer, but he had learned also that there was one time when the little man completely changed his nature, and that was when it was a question of getting hold of some cash. That was the question now, and Peter met McGivney scowl for scowl. If you don't like my frame-up, he snarled, you go kick to the newspapers about it. Peter was the bulldog again, and had got his teeth in the other bulldog's nose, and he hung right there. He had seen the rat-faced man pull money out of his clothes before this, and he knew that this time, above all other times, McGivney would come prepared. So he insisted, a thousand or nothing, and as before, his heart went down into his boots when McGivney produced his wad, and revealed that there was more in the wad than Peter had demanded. However, Peter consoled himself with the reflection that a thousand dollars was a tidy sum of money, and he set out for the home of Nels Ackerman in a jovial frame of mind. Incidentally, he decided that it might be the part of wisdom not to say anything to Nell about this extra thousand. When women found out that you had money, they'd never rest till they had got every cent of it, or at least had made you spend it on them. End of sections 49 and 50